0: It's now time to go around the nation in Division III football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, that was just uh, the most outstanding player of the 2016 Stag Bowl Blake Jackson getting a nice round of applause and thank you for joining us uh, everybody here at Mac and Bob's for the around the nation podcast and you know all sorts of other post-game celebration and festivity here after Stag Bowl 44 with Mary Harden Baylor not Mary Harden Simmons right (laughs) Mary Harden Baylor defeating UW Oshkosh not UW Whitewater by the score of 10 to 7 I'm Pat Coleman the executive editor of d3football.com joined by Keith McMillan here and uh, Keith First of all, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm just glad you were able to get here today because uh, you started the day somewhere in upstate New York and spent about three hours waiting in an airport for a a plane that it turned out never actually left.
2: Yeah, but the people didn't come out here to hear about my travel struggles. I want to talk about Mary Harden Baylor finally winning a national championship.
1: Yeah. 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 (laughs) And uh, that's the, the... the uh, subject of the story that you wrote about, uh, you guys, uh, people can see it if they haven't already. Can see it on d3football.com. It actually, they can pull it up on their mobile device right now as well. Uh, one of the things that we do, of course, in the course of this podcast, is we uh, hand out our game balls from the Stag Bowl. We uh, will talk about if uh, you know where things might fall in our final top twenty-five ballots, and the uh, rest of the the other twenty-three voters are, are having their say over the course of the uh, previous and next. 24 hours, uh, we have to. Uh, we have yet to decide who our offensive and defensive players of the year will be, and as well as our coach of the year. So we typically discuss that through uh, uh, on the air here as well. And uh, but you know, uh, first of all, just uh, for you, the uh, the defensive guy, right on our podcast. This is a, this was a a final two weeks of the season. You must have just reveled in.
2: It was great. The the um, the art of tackling is not dead right I mean you see players come up and make open field tackles you see uh, you know interceptions and and sacks and pressure and twice Mary Harden Baylor put a two or three-point lead on the line they said defense go back out on the field couple minutes left in the game We need you to win it for us they brought it home both times
1: Indeed. Uh, we have a lot of purple around here today, so we're uh, we're glad to see that. And, and thanks to everybody here at uh, Mac and Bob's here in Salem, Virginia. When you're in Salem for the Stag Bowl, or the Final Four, or uh, the Stray uh, Division Three Women's uh, Men's Soccer Championship, or anything else, just uh, make sure to stop by. and Make sure you know Keith and I uh, are here on a regular basis. Um, you know first of all we're very thankful that they're hosting us here this evening because this was an informal thing that now last year that turned into a formal thing and you know this is one of our favorite stops in Salem, Virginia.
2: Yeah it's a, an annual tradition to come to Mac and Bob's after the Stag Bowl. This is the most full I've ever seen it. First yeah. time I had to fight for parking. There you go. You know that this is uh, most of the Mary Harden Baylor folks coming out obviously you win the national championship you want to stay up a little late have a few drinks with friends it all makes sense. Um, but we're glad to have everybody out here. We're glad to be here. So let's, uh, let's talk business.
1: Yeah, who's got a box score, first of all? That's, uh, that's one of the things I like. Well, I had one in my pocket, but I well, left it yeah. in the car. <laughs> well, do you think we were going to do something about a football game today? Um, but, you know, the, the, the question, of course, the, the big story of the day was just, uh, first of all, two things, of course uh, defensive performance, uh, just all across the, uh, the front, the back. Uh, the front six the back five and then also on offense you know they put the ball in Blake Jackson's hands they put the offense in Blake Jackson's hands and he got the job done
2: yeah absolutely and it's something that's been uh, going on all season but not necessarily to the degree that we saw today I believe the final number was 28 carries um, certainly a lot of the the pass plays uh, were, uh, were run pass options and they, they so not only did they put the ball in his hands but they put the decision making in his hands you saw a couple times he changed the play at the line of scrimmage final numbers 28 carries 119 yards that's from your quarterback yeah right that's not from your best running back um he well, ended I up mean, being the player the best he's the, the best the, running back today by default um but also you know hit a huge pass play later in the game as well threw for 171 yards so certainly more, most deserving or deserving as most outstanding player certainly the guy who stood out the most uh in the national championship game but as a unit you know the defense I would have liked to give it to someone on the defense I just didn't know who to choose
1: and I'm sure that's probably why the voting ended up the way it did uh, you know Matt Cody obviously uh, one of the things that happens of course with uh, most outstanding player vote yeah 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 I recognize the okay yep <laughs> Matt Cody's dad uh, over here in the uh, audience today uh, one of the things that happens with all of these all-star voting uh, things is they tend to happen up with about three minutes left in the game so where Cody's interception happens. It's kind of too late to put him over the top. But now, at this point, that's, that's who I'm giving my game ball to. But we'll do that in a few minutes.
2: That's not fair. You can't take the defensive guy.
1: Well, In this game, are, can't we both take defensive guys? That's
2: true. And honestly, Oshkosh defense was outstanding as well. Matt Cody, I thought, really started to come on in the second half. It was uh, the first drive when uh, Oshkosh had the ball. He makes tackle on third down, in on the tackle on fourth down, finishes with two tackles for losses and, and interception uh 10 total tackles. Um, so to lead the team, Keith Renicky had 9, Reggie Wilson had 8, DeAndre Jackson 7, Baylor Mullins who's all over the place uh during the game. He has 6 tackles. So you can just see what a team defensive effort it was. There was a, you know, big interception in the first half by Jadon Johnson who's not even someone who's listed as a starter, but who's someone who plays a lot of minutes and came up with a big turnover. So uh, it was such a Team defensive effort and really a team effort offensively. Yeah. The the big pass plays that, that Blake Jackson hit, a lot of time to throw from the offensive line. And uh I, I just thought it was impressive, especially if you go back a couple rounds, you got contributions from not just twenty two starters, but guys up and down the roster. You got touchdowns on special teams, touchdowns on defense. If you go back to the Wheaton game. So I, I think for Mary Harden Baylor couldn't be much more impressed with how well-rounded this championship one run was and you get to avenge some of the nemeses let's say. Beat Linfield along the way beat Mountain Union so nobody doubts the legitimacy of the championship and then you come here to Salem you beat a team from the Wisconsin intercollegiate athletic conference by three for the national championship that's why the playoffs are so great there's no doubt about it, best team in the country, Mary Harden-Baylor.
1: I figured that line would bring applause, but I guess not. That's all right. There That's because they're all starting to drink now. <laughs> um, you were talking about uh, just the, the, the broad-based, impressive defensive performance, uh, of course, by the crew. And the, the number that I look at is not even really on the defensive side. It's on the Oshkosh offensive side, right? 30 rushing yards on 29 attempts. Uh, you know you can pretty much do the math right uh whatever uh one and 129th one is that's pretty impressive and you know even dylan hecker with uh, 13 carries for 29 there was just no there was nowhere for them to run and they tried so many times to get to the edge and they didn't get close
2: nope mary Harden baylor the defense they pursue to the ball and they tackle when they get there very few missed tackles today which is impressive I thought Oshkosh, what they did to teams over the course of the season, and over the course of the playoffs, was present them with multiple formations, spread them out, and then eventually they'll catch somebody slipping. But you really didn't see a, a lot of that today. Mary Harden-Baylor with the, you know, the five defensive backs on the field at all times, not a whole lot of chances to, to go up the field, and, uh, and Oshkosh really needed to capitalize, I thought, early in the second half they got those two turnovers they weren't able to turn those into any points yeah and that that probably hurt them because points were at a premium
1: right exactly in, in all honesty uh you know the three-point game does not uh doesn't really demonstrate how dominant Mary Harden Baylor was for the final 50 whatever minutes of the game it's just that a couple of key spots uh Mary Harden Baylor had a little trouble hanging onto the ball
2: yeah and, and to be honest that's part of I guess what Mary Hardin baylor did over the course of the season, because they um, you know, present you with so much, they, there were certainly times where they put the ball on the ground. There was, you know, Penalties were an issue earlier in the season. They cleaned that up. Yep. just two penalties last week against Mary Harden-Baylor. I, think, I believe it was five here in the Stag Bowl. So it's a, it's a team that was dominant at points all along the way, but also improved every week. And you could probably say, in a lot of ways, this game was uh, their, their best game all around because even though the offense only put up 10 points, came through with key third down conversions, you know, a 20-play drive, yeah. milked the clock yep. in the fourth quarter, even though it missed a field goal, really only left Oshkosh with one possession and made, made the defense only had to make one stop to preserve the win. And then you just saw the, the emotion pour out. Uh, when they won the, the game. You know, guys streaming onto the field. Uh, Blake Jackson ran about like 50 yards from the 10-yard line all the way to midfield. Um, and then the, the interview after the game, I thought Matt Cody was hilarious. <laughs> that was amazing. We, we enjoyed that. Best post-game um, interview ever. Yeah, and he, was, and he was like that in the post-game press conference, too. I don't know how much of it you heard, but you know him and Blake Jackson teasing each other um, about the fumbles and, and, and whatnot. So, you know... They remind us that the game, at its very essence, as much angst and emotion as we put into it, it's fun. Yeah, and they they, you know, it's a lot more fun when you win, obviously. But they had a lot of fun. They made it a lot of fun. Frank Rossi was telling us uh, that Tidrick Smith was talking to him during the game on the sideline. I mean, there's a guy who's enjoying the game, right? You know, it's
1: a national championship. You should be nervous. He was chill. Nope. Um, We were reflecting on the um, after the game on the when we were still on the air about the. You know, having been there not quite at the beginning of the Tiedrich Smith career arc, but pretty close to it, you know, he had that huge breakout game when, uh, when I was down there for the opening of the stadium back against Wesley back in 2013. You know, it's kind of hard to believe that that was, that was still him as a freshman and, you know, just this amazing uh, career that he's had over the, the course of those uh, four seasons since.
2: Yeah, but he made a comment in the post game that, you know, he came to Mary Harden Baylor to win the national championship. Thought maybe it would happen as a freshman. And uh, as with many Mary Harden-Baylor seasons, they, they would be great, and they would end always against an elite team, a Wesley, a Linfield, a Mary Harden-Baylor, a Mountain Union. But these disappointing endings, and you could even see this season had the potential to end that way, and I thought the way they closed out the semifinal game and the national championship just exercised all those demons.
1: Yeah, there's, right, a lot of things that... I don't know if it, it necessarily haunted is the right word. I, I would think from my perspective from the outside, I would have thought that that was the case. Um, this too, right? How much time did we spend over the course of the last couple of weeks talking about conservative play calls? And then, you know, at the end of the game, it did not, it did not really happen. It didn't turn out that way. No, I think Mary mean, kept the f- full and maybe opened up the playbook even at the end.
2: Well, the, the flea flicker was anything yeah. but conservative. Right. It was a nice sprinkle of um, creativity. In the midst of a game that was mostly uh, giving Blake Jackson the opportunity to either hand off, run the ball himself, or pass it, and a lot of those plays were versions of, of uh, similar plays. But that flea flicker was uh, the type of thing we expect to see from Oshkosh, quite honestly. And we didn't see it. We saw it from Mary Harden Baylor. Uh, that was a good moment uh, in Friday night's game.
1: We take a very short break. A very short break. And I, uh, you know, this is something that probably will be cut out of the final podcast but uh because we will then overlay it with music and stuff but i should thank uh frank rossi who's running the board for us and also uh who's our uh, sideline guy here um uh, during the game on friday night and what happened to your coat
3: I eventually you have to take an ugly coat off, and uh, why not
1: when we came in here? But
3: uh, again, Sager strong all night long.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if you didn't see him, you'll probably see it in the pictures on the on the website. It was uh, he was wearing a uh, the what I refer to as the uh, sport coat equivalent of the ugly Christmas sweater uh, on the sideline in uh, in uh, honor of Craig Sager. game balls segment here. Uh, I already kind of previewed who we were, yeah, no, no, J.J. Nekoloff is looking for a game ball. I don't have a game file from you, so I'm not giving you a game it's ball. Okay, uh, that was two hours after the game, but that's cool. Once upon a time. So I had already, I already gave my game ball to Matt Cody, and we talked about that a little bit, but just again, you actually, Keith, did a great job of breaking down some of the the, uh, the things that he did, some of which are reflected in the stats, some of which aren't, but he had a, a particularly impressive second half, especially, ended up with uh, ten total tackles, six of them are solos, a couple tackles for loss, the game-sealing interception. He and Tedrick Smith teamed up on a sack at a key point when, you know, uh, Oshkosh really needed to try to move the ball through the air and the, he made it really difficult for them to do so. That's, yeah, that's fine.
2: and as a senior, I mean, what better way to go out with the pick that seals the national championship win um, certainly a deserving player for the game ball. If, if you give yours to Matt Cody, I'll give mine to Blake Jackson. I think it was evident to anybody who watched the game the reason why. Um, someone who was in control of the offense, someone who um, made plays when, the, when there weren't many plays to be made because the Oshkosh defense uh, was, was so tough, um, and he made the game entertaining. You know, for a game that was only 17 points scored, it, it was actually a lot of fun to watch Blake uh, out there with the ball, s- spreading the ball around, in the passing game, running the bubble screens, and then of course tucking it and running it himself when necessary. So that's a that's a fair game ball. And uh, yeah, if you want to give him the mic. Yeah, where we would, could, uh, if we can find them, Adam
1: Turr is uh, coming and bringing him over right now. Uh, Frank Rossi is going to uh, wire him up for sound. Uh, how about this? This will be the first time that we've had this happen. Right? What
2: a live game ball presentation! A live
1: game ball present? Did you bring? the But again, did yeah, you then bring we'd the ball? Actually, no, these are where's the ball?
2: folks. These are figurative
1: game balls. I'm well, not sure if you've, I, I would you you followed this, along though. on the podcast. You know, we don't
2: actually send a ball to somebody. I would say somebody. this though: Blake
1: like, is no longer an NCAA student athlete. I think we could <laughs> give him a game ball. But he's
2: got he's got a national championship hat. He's got a shirt
1: on. He got plenty of swag already today. All right, uh, toasted yeah. crackers. I'm not sure I can give him those. Maybe I can give guys, him a bagel. Can like with like uh, interview him or something here. <laughs> yeah, Blake. Uh, first of all, congratulations. Uh, amazing season. Amazing uh, evening tonight. Just, uh, you know, obviously you've had now a couple hours to let it soak in. So certainly you have uh, a gr- uh, great big picture
4: perspective. Tell us how it feels. Uh, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, right now, um, it still hasn't hit me yet. I don't think it'll hit me until we get back to Texas tomorrow. But uh man, you know, uh I wouldn't rather I wouldn't want to do this with any other team, with any other group of guys. Uh every single every single player on that team, I love every single one of them. Coaches too.
1: You know, Blake, when I was talking with Coach Fred for our uh, preseason preview back in July or August, he was beginning to talk a little bit about the stuff uh, that he talked more about tonight and over the course of the last couple weeks about the, the kind of, you know, heart to heart, the beating the that took place over the offseason, right? In January, we kind of, um, you know, kind of reset goals and kind of reset the direction of this program even a little bit. Ha- tell us about that from your perspective.
4: Well, you know, when we came in uh, after losing the Linfield last year uh, in, t- in January, you know, there was a couple guys on our team that we felt like, you know, we needed to have a serious talk with and see if they were really all in for this program. So uh, after doing that, you know, we had to let go of some guys and the guys that didn't get on board. And, um, you know, it was hard because those guys are, you know, your brothers and you, you your friends. You see them every single day. Yeah. and uh, But it was something that we had to do and that's where we started at and just it was a change of leadership that really contributed to the season and um, man coach fred did a great job with that you know there
2: are probably i guess times or or losses that hang with a lot of teams but you guys were able to take that and uh and really use it as fuel to get back here was there any point during the the course of the season where you Doubted that uh, that it might all pay off, or, or were you kind of in belief the whole way? And uh, you know, you can look back on that moment and, and, and realize you actually took what you learned from the loss, put use it as fuel to uh, to get back.
4: Um, I'd have to the first thing that pops in my mind about a loss is that Linfield game last year. Um, you know, there was never at one point of the season uh, that I felt like we weren't going to be the guys on top at the end. Um, And I'm saying that coming from a humble point of view. Uh, You know, our guys are very humble as a team, but we also have confidence. But, uh, yeah, that Linfield loss last year really took a toll on our guys and our coaches and just the whole community of UMHB. And I feel like, you know, we put it on our shoulders to make sure that this season was going to be something special.
2: What was it about that loss in particular, just because it ended the season or because it was – uh, came out by surprise or because you guys had a big lead early in that game?
4: I feel what made that loss more, like stand out more, was the the feeling of we should have won that game. Um, the feeling of not finishing and not getting to where we, we thought we were supposed to be. And, um, you know, we never wanted to feel that again. We never wanted to have that feel feeling of uh, we didn't accomplish or give it our all. So, you know, we made a promise that we were never going to feel that again, and that promise stayed true. Yeah, there was no game
2: this season where where you didn't finish, or you mm-hmm. didn't feel like um, you you won. Anybody who stood out to you today that maybe is an unsung hero, or that you um, would like to point out the effort that they put in that maybe you know we don't notice because we're so caught up in the score or mm-hmm. the time or possession or whatever.
4: I'd have to say the whole front five, offensive linemen, every single one of them guys. Um, I think I only got sacked what, eight times this year, nine times, something like that. Yeah. Right. That's unbelievable. Um these guys have done a great job this year with, with protecting me and opening up holes for the running backs. Uh all the credit goes to them guys. You know, without them we can't get anywhere. Um we had a, a, a freshman at right tackle, Dewan. Um him stepping up and fall was a big, big, big thing and you know, all credit goes to the old lineman.
2: Well glad to have you on. Thanks for
4: joining us. Yes, sir. Feel free to enjoy. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you.
1: All right, yeah. that is uh, Blake Jackson, Woo! most outstanding player of Stag Bowl '44. Crusaders who defeated Oshkosh ten to seven. And you know, it's of course I have to. This is also a live show. I have to remind people this is the Around the Nation podcast. I'm Pat Coleman. Uh, he's Keith McMillan. Uh, Frank Rossi is uh, doing our production stuff uh, here, and we appreciate that. And we appreciate everybody uh, here at uh, Mac and Bob's, especially for uh, hosting us. And uh, making this possible because this is uh, something I think is going to become a tradition. Now we just have to get Keith here earlier than 12:15, so I will make sure not to give you uh, a writing assignment, I guess, in the future after the game. Uh, I don't know how that's. Uh, and Adam is like, wait, wait a minute. This, I mean, I have to write, write more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I think the cool thing about doing this is, you know, every year when we come down to Salem. The the organizing committee here in Salem does a great job of adding something every season to make it feel more and more like a national championship experience. And I think being able to come here at at Mac and Bob's afterward, hang out with fans who actually came all the way from Texas to watch this game. You know, now you you get to come out, have some drinks, have some pizza, and just bask in the, wow, we really actually won the national championship.
1: And they really did. They really did by a a ten to seven score. Let us, uh, let's see, one of the other things, well, we have to check some boxes, uh, first of all. We'll do that in a little bit. Um, I wanna go back to the, uh, you know, late in the game, the the decision that I guess nobody asked Oshkosh about, at least nobody in the postgame news conference asked them about, but we get another opportunity to kind of talk through it here. Uh, You know, they have the opportunity to send the field goal unit out and attempt a 52-yard field goal, uh, which would have tied the game um, with a kicker, uh, you know, Eli Westside, who had connected from 50 earlier in the season, 16 to 22 on field goals over the course of the year, uh, and they chose not to. And obviously, we're all with the benefit of hindsight right now. But uh, you know, going back to in the moment, that obviously clearly a, uh, clearly a decision that uh, they're going to be thinking about for a while.
2: Yeah, fourth and 10 is tough to convert, no matter what, but especially against a Mary Harden-Baylor defense. But 52-yard field goal, your odds are not that great. Anyway, um, wetstein had, had missed a key field goal against John Carroll, so I don't know how they are feeling about whether they were really confident in him or not. But a lot of times when you hear coaches talk about the decision to either go for it or, or attempt a field goal, you say you want you want the ball in the hands of your best players at the key moment in the game, and so you know confidence they showed in Brett Casper and they're trying to get the ball to their, their best players and keep that drive going. Think about it too, if they convert that, they have a chance to not just tie the game, but to win it. So uh, I think if it's shorter than 52, if it's 40, you know, maybe it's a, a more questionable decision. But I think you, know, you, you, you can't knock a coach for not trying a 52-yard game-tying field goal. There's uh, two things to remember during that whole
3: exchange. First off, they did take a timeout. So they did have a second opportunity to think about that. And all night long, decisions on that field were as much player-driven as they were coach-driven. So you had a full huddle of starters around the coach, and Coach Cerrone probably deferred as much to his players in that situation to say, do you want to kick it or go for it? It didn't look like there was any indication anybody on that sideline wanted to kick, and so they lived with the decision. It may have gone their way. It didn't.
1: Yeah, it's been you know it's, it's been that kind of uh, playoff run for Oshkosh too, right? We, we talked with uh, Pat Cerrone after the semifinal game, and that was something where you know he talked about how much uh, you know he lets the players have some control over that. I mean, a lot of that was uh, was defensive decisions, and I guess I don't know how many defensive calls he personally made tonight. He said he only made five in the semifinal game. I don't know uh, you know obviously there were a lot of great defensive calls made uh, both sidelines but uh, that's definitely it's definitely an interesting thought about that.
2: Yeah, I think that was one of the cool things about getting new teams to Salem is getting to know Pat Cerrone, uh, folks who don't know Pete Fredenberg and the way those two guys run their programs. You just open that up to a wider audience. Um, there are a lot of unique minds, unique thinkers in, in Division 3 Folks who are, who are doing this, obviously not for the glory so much as to, to, to coach up young men, but um, there are different, it also proves there are different styles that win. You know, you don't have to be super hardcore to, to get your team to the national championship game. You can be a very likable guy. You can be a player's coach. There are a lot of different ways to do it. And I thought both the teams that were here in Salem on Friday night represented Division Three about as well as you could ask for.
1: Absolutely, and it was—it uh, was just again, as we've said a couple times already, nice to have, you know, an opportunity to get to know some new people and just see some new faces in Salem. And you know, in all honesty, uh, uh, those uh, fans who complain about it being Mount Union and Whitewater every single year, well, they have to—they have to stick that in their back pocket for a while.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty and happy about
1: that.
2: <laughs> those those teams are—they're not dead. They're—they're going to be back, especially. Uh, Mountain Union, very young team this season, stayed within two points of the national champions at down in Texas. So, um, you, you have to imagine they'll be around a freshman quarterback. But I thought we saw, really, a, across a top eight or top ten, you know, consistent, close programs. Um, John Carroll emerging this season. St. Thomas just three points from Oshkosh, which was just three points from. Mary Harden, Baylor, you know, you had St. John's right there, Whitewater, you know, they're, they're they're dead. Dead. You know Wisconsin-Platteville, you're right, right there with St. John's, you know Wesley will be back, Linfield will be back, so um, I, I think you're looking forward to another season where you have 10, 12 teams legitimately could hope to get to Salem, yeah. and I don't know if we, if you'd ask us at the beginning of the season, would any of us have predicted a Mary Harden-Baylor Oshkosh national championship game But by the time we got here, it seemed like the right two teams.
1: Adam's got the list. Did any of it? No, I know no one predicted that. No. No, Yeah. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the official uh, reminder that none of us picked that. Adam's going to get a mic here.
0: No, our preseason predictions. We had three people predicting Linfield, two predicting Wisconsin Whitewater, and one Mount Union. So we didn't predict either of these teams. Yeah. Well. That's why predictions are fun
2: at the time. Did we and they're fun to look back at, but the only are about. Oh, we're not
0: work. done looking back at these yet. There's, oh. there's plenty more predictions to go over. Okay, oh, well, right, you're this in is on the those predictions
1: uh, at the end of the broadcast here, podcast. Okay, okay, go now. Yeah, go for
0: it. Okay, let's see. Who had Mary, Mary Harden Baylor in the semifinals uh, out of the six of us that predicted? Um, let's see. Four of us had Mary Harden Baylor making the semifinals. Yep. Sense. Everyone picked Mount Union to make the semifinals. Everyone picked Linfield to make the semifinals. Yeah,
1: we didn't know the bracket would make that impossible. Yeah,
0: so obviously that wasn't possible for both Mary Harden-Baylor and Linfield to make the semifinals. And that is one tough thing because maybe Linfield was one of the four best teams. We'll never know. But they yeah. did lose twice to Mary Harden-Baylor, so probably not. Uh, and then for the other one, two people picked Whitewater and four picked St. Thomas. So John Carroll was also a surprise. Oshkosh was also a surprise. Oh, oh Josh... Josh Smith are around the West columnist head Oshkosh in the semifinal. Good go. for Josh.
1: No, Point what, for was Josh. His, what was his full set of semifinals?
0: Josh had Mount Union, Linfield, Saint Thomas, and Oshkosh. There
1: you go. Yeah.
0: Somebody I mean, missing you know, from that you know? group though. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> yeah, but he, he's the only. At least he got somebody. Uh, he's, he had a unique representation that us. mine are
2: always the worst every year always thinking somebody's going to break through and then finally i decide to play it safe
1: and then you can give mine what did keith have and then what did i have
0: keith had in the semifinal: mount union linfield st thomas and wisconsin whitewater he's a big fan of the color purple
1: okay it's
0: a good movie good book good color what did i have can we say this is the this is the gold champion this year? Not probably. I mean, their jerseys were not purple. The I helmets. Think,
1: yeah, I don't. We can't disavow purple. Purple's part of it. It's our, still purple.
0: Yeah. It's still it's still a purple power. Anybody interested in getting back on topic? What, or? Who, who did uh, Pat, top Pat have, Adam? <laughs> who
1: were my semifinals? Who did Coleman have?
0: Pat Coleman had Mount Union, Linfield, Saint Thomas, and Mary Hardin Baylor.
1: So no I wonder you wanted to talk about it. It right. was only half right, so it's something. He had one. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Do I get half a point for that? Well, uh, Adam's final Around the Nation column will be posted uh, sometime next week. Uh, well, early
0: next week. We'll, we'll, we'll recap the 2016 season and also go through all of the wonderful and not-so-wonderful predictions.
1: <laughs> I didn't want to commit you to early next week. I just was going to say next week, so you've committed yourself to early. I will uh, await that. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, let's see. So the uh, one of the other things that is part of our business today is we have to because we haven't yet uh, we have to talk about offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, and coach of the year. And um, you know, typically, what's actually kind of I guess amusing about this is that we really do this live on the podcast. There have been times where I have come into the podcast or the post game show. With a preconceived notion, and Keith has talked me out of it and um, and that 's cool. We have not really discussed this with each other, although I have some notes in front of me. I apologize if that 's influencing you. offensive player of the year of course uh, is uh, you know restricted to people who are on the first team all american so that makes it um, you know a, a, a limited list uh, Quarterback, and typically you know we have i say how often have we had a wide receiver as offensive player of the year that 's kind of a difficult place to come from to be a player of the year it seems. We had Kumaro a couple of years ago. Yeah I mean it has happened but I'm not sure yes. how incredibly often that is. I have to actually go find that All-American team on our website. There we go. It's good to have that in front of us. So I guess the candidates would be uh, Sam Riddle from Linfield, Bradley Mitchell from Mountain Union, Dayton Wynn from Hendricks, Dan Arnold from UW-Platteville, Brandon Shedd from Hobart, also, tight ends and offensive linemen. I mean, we haven't had an offensive lineman as a national offensive player of the year. We have had one as a regional offensive player of the year. But I think those are, the, those are generally the, the people that we would start with.
2: And, and I'm on the record as having voted for Sam Riddle for uh, the Gallardi Trophy, so this is kind of easy for me. I voted for um, Baylor Mullins. I, I didn't think it was a... Um, I did. I
1: really did. I'm not just pandering to the crowd.
2: I, I didn't think this year was a banner year for offense. You look at a lot of the great teams, they were... They were um, December was not a banner month for offense, that's right. Sure. Right, the great teams were fueled by defense. Um, there were certainly some great players, but a lot of the teams didn't, they didn't have like one guy that piled up all their numbers. right? So, uh, so, yeah, when you look at this All-American team, the All-American running backs, Bradley Mitchell, Dayton Wynn, Dan Arnold, Brandon Shedd, I, I think for me... If that's my five guys to pick from, the quarterback, running back, two wide receivers, I think it's obviously Sam Riddle.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. This is one of the easiest decisions we have to make today, actually. Um, So, yeah, uh, for those of you who – well, someone should tweet this out um, on our account, actually. You do not get to scoop us on our own news. Who has access to that? No, Ryan doesn't have it on his – okay, hang on a second here. Uh, Keith Philwell, I guess. And, and,
0: and well, Pat tweets that out, uh, one of our preseason predictions. Oh, yeah. Who will be the D3Football.com Offensive and Defensive Players of the Year? Uh-oh. Five out of the six for Offensive Player of the Year picked Linfield quarterback Sam Riddle. Okay. And Josh picked Jordan Roberts from St. Thomas, the running back who was injured and missed most of the season. So, <coughs> Sam right. Riddle. That's been tweeted.
1: Lived up to the expectations. All right. Defensively. Oh, do you have more to say about that, Keith? Or are we oh. ready to move it? Okay, so on the defensive side, going back to that All-American team, this is the first-team All-American defense, which we announced, oh, about uh, 6.35, about a little over six hours ago. At the ends, Tiedrick Smith, you may have heard of him, uh, William Sewell from Frostburg State, the tackles, Mike Vidal and Kyron Brown-Wallace. Did I pronounce that correctly, Frank? Okay, good. Cool. Nailed it. All right, defensive tackle from St. Lawrence. Linebackers, uh, Reese Ziedzic, uh, from Oshkosh, Caleb Ashby from Wheaton, Mason McKenrick from John Carroll, the corners, Michael Hollins from John Carroll and Michael Alotta from St. Thomas, safeties, Baylor Mullins from Mary Harden Baylor and Austin Tennessee from Stevenson. Those are our candidates for Defensive Player of the Year, the, the full 11. And from that group, so many of those guys had such big impacts
2: on their defense, you know, guys that maybe we didn't even know all that well at the beginning of the season, but I'm thinking of a Mason McKenrick uh for John Carroll. Outstanding defense. Way above what we thought they were going to be, uh, John Carroll, you know, to the point where they they held Whitewater to 14. They uh you know Wesley was held to seven points in regulation. Even when they lose to Oshkosh and oshkosh goes to the stag ball, oshkosh still only scored ten points on them. So John Carroll, outstanding defense. We know because we saw it on Friday night, how good Reese Zidzik and the Oshkosh defense was, I think that, and and Mike Vidal was all over the place, uh, basically won the the second round game at Johns Hopkins for for Mount Union. He was a force uh, in the semifinal game as well.
1: I keep forgetting you were at that game. That's like a whole four weeks ago. Well,
2: time flies. But I, I think you would not be remiss if you decided to narrow the choices down to the two guys who are heart and soul of of the national champions? Considering the defense was such a big part of of them winning, so you take a look at Tidrick Smith, you take a look at Baylor Mullins, and yeah. you ask
1: yourself, you know, how do you make that which decision? Which one do you go with? Great. Well, that's super helpful. Uh, that's already the same two people I would have been thinking of too. So, well, good. how well, do you make a decision between, um, you know, two different, uh, two different? That's a good idea. Oh, no, no, no. We do not do co-players of nothing. I'm sorry. Well, That's not a bad idea, in all honesty. Um, we might have to take a time out and think about that. Well, let me interject. Yeah, I, this is what I yes. always do in the press yes, box. Yes, counselor.
3: I always go to that but for cause with a defense. But for this player, would this team be here in this way, shape, or form?
1: Does that? I'm not sure it helps me make a decision. Huh? Well, yeah. Interesting thought, though. I, I think... You know? Even
3: on a night where his numbers weren't outstanding necessarily, you have somebody that seemed to be the person that the defense revolved around, and that was the same all season long I think. And you probably know who I'm leaning you toward in
0: that
1: thought. Actually, I don't know who you're leading us toward in that thought. I think I still feel like either guy could uh, could fit that dis- description. I but I
0: yeah, but I, I feel like of because of what one does. It allows the other to fly around and make the plays he makes. And it puts the pressure on the opposing offense week in and week out that really lets the other ten guys on his defense do what they do. The the
2: funny thing is... You haven't clarified. That statement could <laughs> apply in either direction. You think
0: so? That, well, both guys fly around and are allowed to
3: do what uh, they do. I based on, I think one on. guy
0: has a more immediate impact on the plays. t
3: is an anchor for that defense. I don't think there's any secret to that. Because we I'll talked about, as Kevin and BYU. I
0: talked about at halftime, is, hey, Oshkosh should you know, do some play action, do some double moves. Well, you can't do that when t Smiths in your grill after yeah. three
1: seconds. He's blowing stuff up, that's for sure.
0: All right, well, personally
1: – I'm, have, I'm more do we, impressed. Do we have to take a secret ballot here, or what are we going to do? No, this is ahead. not the selection oh. show. Okay. Whew. Wrong podcast. I, honestly, maybe this is
2: the, the defensive back of me coming out, but I'm, imp- I'm so impressed with what Baylor Mullins does, how they're able to use him, a guy that they, um, they can play over a slot. They can play him uh, as a safety. They can blitz him. He makes plays in the passing game. He's such a, a, a good tackle. but he seems to always be around the ball. Um, but I wouldn't fight with you guys if you guys want to all pick Tiedrich Smith. You, you know who votes for Tijer Smith? Who votes
3: for Tijer Smith? Your offensive player of the year would.
1: <laughs> oh, Sam Riddle would definitely. Yeah, that's I a good did. Point. I did think that's about that point. as I was kind of making my notes. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool if it ends up that way.
0: That's true because they played twice this year. They played last year, and he's got a lot of respect for for Tiedrich Smith.
1: Major in
3: both directions.
1: All right. I'm not. Uh, Sam Riddle doesn't have a. It's a a form, for doesn't have a formal ballot in this. But Sorry, Sorry. these two deciders. Decide. <laughs> We're the deciders.
2: So yeah, it sounds like we don't have a unanimous decision, but we have a decision. You are right with. I can live
1: with it. Oh, I
0: appreciate that.
1: What <laughs> the, the the former uh, the former safety is going to live with the defensive end uh, being our, uh, our man our as a former
0: safety myself I would have loved to have a defensive end like Tidrick Smith Are you kidding me <laughs> Don't you wish you had Tidrick Smith You would have had twice as many picks as you had and You had a ton already Sure uh, and I, I, I uh, can follow that logic And we're going to let
1: you guys fill for a minute while I tweet out that uh, Tidrick Smith is the defensive player of the year uh,
0: And uh, although this vote wasn't unanimous in our preseason predictions uh, The rare unanimous selection all six Six of us predicted Tedrick Smith would be the Defensive Player of the Year. Not that that has any sway over well, this decision tonight Well, he, was, he had approved it on the field. He was last year's Defensive Player of the Year, wasn't he? I, I
2: think it speaks to the, the, uh, the character and How's quality of help? both of those players, though, as well, where you put the expectation on them for these guys to be All-Americans again, to lead their team deep into the postseason again, and they both did it. They were healthy. They, they didn't miss games. They came up big in big games. So there's certainly no argument against either one of those guys. I actually think it makes it more impressive that we put this on them at the beginning of the season and say, hey, we, we think these guys are going to be the players of the year. And then they played, they backed it up with their play to the point where they are um, the offensive
1: and defensive Last of the year.
0: year's Defensive Player of the Year uh, was definitely. Uh, a factor in the Stag Bowl, and that was Tom Lally, defensive tackle from Mount Union.
1: Oh, there we go. All right. That makes sense.
0: Recency <laughs> bias. <laughs> we, we are always swayed by a big Stag Bowl performance, as well, we should be, because if you get to the Stag Bowl, you're probably one of the best players in the nation. That Yeah. that Certainly teams do not get to
1: the Stag Bowl without having many of the best, uh, many of the best players in the nation. We have one more award to hand out, and that is uh, D3Football.com Coach of the Year. It is not limited to people who are Regional Coach of the Year. Sometimes... You know, first of all, uh, you know, there are games that happen after that, and those are important. All, many of the important games have to happen after the all-region team is announced. Um, you know, sometimes, too, we uh, award some of those things to um, not dark horses, but, you know, guys who coaches whose teams overachieved and well overachieved what we expected them to do in the preseason, um, and that's uh, certainly part of it. I'm actually not going to even look at who our regional coaches of the year were because I don't want to be... Swayed by that, but you know, someone we have to talk about is Tom Arth at John Carroll because what did we expect John Carroll to do this year? I mean, I mean, certainly not at least go to the uh, national semifinals. I think we expected maybe they could be pretty good, but not not like that. Um, you know, similarly, in all honesty, uh, even though this was the the worst Mount Union season in 22 years, I think you could very well make a case for Mount Union because they could have been a whole heck of a lot worse, they lost so much off of that uh, team from the previous year. And for them to get back to the national semifinals uh, is, I think, still uh, something worthy of discussion. Uh, Pete Fredenberg, of course, have to talk about him. That is uh, – and Bob Rankel at Alfred. Thank you, Adam. Uh, who else are uh, real, solid, honest candidates? Is that it? Pat Cerrone. Oh, yeah. That
0: guy. Taking Oshkosh to the first Egg Bowl.
1: That's guy, that guy That guy. did a pretty good job not calling defenses. No, no, no. I shouldn't say that. Um, so, anybody else?
0: I mean, I feel like this is the most wide open that I can remember in recent history, where it really there are a, so many deserving candidates. Yeah, I,
1: man, if we had had this discussion eight days ago or even seven days ago, I would have probably started with Tom Arthur. Yeah, that,
0: that that was my first thought too. It was Tom Arthur winning at Mount Union and at Whitewater, true, with, with a freshman quarterback. Yeah. I mean, that's – and overachieving, especially after a season-opening loss and getting that team to come back the way they did the the next 13 weeks was was really impressive.
2: I think, too, when you step back a level, uh, when we're discussing what Tom Marth has done, he's now taken a program that's pretty good and made it a legitimate national title contender. And he he hasn't done it by radically changing anything except just consistently bringing in – good players and now the radical change is that they've beaten mountain union so now that's a rivalry so when they go out and, and recruit this time around you're going to see john carroll be able to to sell that to players and say look hey we beat mountain union this year we one touchdown away from the stag bowl i, I think it's tom arth without a question although i thought you made a super valid point that vince Garris did maybe his best coaching job and that's a, a guy who won a national championship last season
1: um, to give kind of the resume for some of these other guys that we talked about uh, Bob Rankle at Alfred That's the first time that anybody's run the table in that conference or gone 10-0 and 0, uh, since that conference was formed and they got to the national quarterfinals and You know I mean they put up 45 points on Mountain Union and you know I'm not sure how many people have done that and uh, yeah Frank Oh, you want me to put my mic? I, that's usually my job to figure out. Well, thank you It's nice to have somebody else producing. Appreciate that um so that's a, that's a. I think that's the Bob. That's the Bob Rankle resume. Uh, Pete Fredenberg. Uh, they, they won the national championship. Uh, that's always a. That's always a, a strong feather in somebody's cap. That, you you had me convinced
3: when we were coming over here earlier that Fredenberg would be the easy choice. But you know what? You guys are selling me on earth in your previous discussion in a year that the rest of the OAC seemed to take steps backward. That seemed to be the one program that either you, you know, bucked that trend or exceeded the trend in many different ways. And there's something to be said for that, especially with Mount Union in your conference.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, I wouldn't say we'd would give an automatic bid to somebody who won at Mount Union and won at Whitewater, but that's something that nobody's done in 30 years.
2: Yeah, and, and the only team that beat them is the team that played tonight. Friday yeah, so to, to a, a near draw. In the national oh, championship game, so, I mean, no, I mean just saying that they went toe to toe with the national yep. champions. That probably would have been a better way to word it. Luckily, <laughs> some of the Mary harden Baylor <laughs> folks have filed out, so I don't. I'm not going. I'm not going to get in like a, a fist fight. <laughs> you're later not going to have to
1: fight your way right. to the door to get out of no, here. No, but I, I think um, well, we got our bouncer right here. Larry Redloff is going to escort you to the door if necessary.
2: I, I think John Carroll. They had the success, right? National semifinalists. You have the coach that got more out of the team than we expected, and he did it with a freshman quarterback, played better than expected, outstanding defense. And I know he gives credit to his defensive coordinator, but I think
1: um, he's a great selection for, for D3Football.com Coach of the Year. And he is the selection for D3Football.com Coach of the Year. Again, you guys fill while I tweet. Yes, Tom Arthur, yes. All right. You're, you're not filling. I need you to fill.
3: We're filling right now because Adam's going to tell us, do we even have that category in the preseason? I don't think we did.
0: Yeah. No, we don't select a preseason coach of the year. Well, maybe we should. Oh, I don't know if that's... Well, <laughs> actually, unpredictable. It's, you know, so this, Everything's unpredictable. I mean, the best thing about that category is we look at the coach who did, you know, usually it's someone who far exceeded. It would be easy <laughs> to hand it out to whichever coach led his team to a championship. That would be easy. And we've done that sometimes. Yep. But I, I think this is a very deserving candidate in a year where we had many.
3: Well, to recap, offensive player of the year, Sam Riddle, quarterback, Linfield. Defensive player of the year, Tedrick Smith, defensive end, Mary Harden Baylor. And Coach of the Year, Tom Arth, John Carroll.
0: Tom Arth, one of the few coaches not on Twitter.
1: How about that? You can't tag him. I know. You need to hashtag Twitterless Tom Arth, right? Isn't that the <laughs> is that still the convention? Do we still do that on Twitter?
0: All right. Let's we'll tag JCU football.
1: There you go. So uh, one of the other things we talk about in our final podcast is how we kind of set out the f- the uh, the final top 25. Sometimes it's a difficult decision um, for us, and we're, of course, we're just talking about our ballots. There are 25 voters. Uh, let's see, uh, actually, I have five, six in this room, five in this room, something like that. Anyway, nobody's raising their hands to say that they have a top 25 ballot, maybe that's wise. Um, <clears throat> it's okay. Um, But, uh, you know, sometimes when there are blowouts in the semifinals or blowouts in the championship game, it makes it a little more difficult for us to kind of parse through and then say, well, you know, so-and-so came in uh, and played better against this team in the quarterfinals than so-and-so did in the finals. I think it's fairly straightforward this year. I think that uh, because there were so many good games down at the end, it kind of pretty much falls according to order of finish, not just uh, ranking.
2: Yeah, the the only one that's a little bit difficult for me is... Wisconsin Whitewater because they beat Oshkosh during the season but was beaten pretty handily yeah. by uh, by John Carroll in the quarterfinals you know you struggle a little bit with where to put them but Mount Union right there with Mary Harden Baylor Oshkosh right there with Mary Harden Baylor so you can go one two pretty easily um, John Carroll's right there St. Thomas so close to, to Oshkosh I think that may end up being your top five, which means North nope. Central probably falls below Wheaton after the playoff loss. Probably. Yeah. Linfield. You have um, who am I forgetting? Did you, uh, Wesley. Uh, maybe? Wesley. St. John's. St. John's. Yeah. Also close to Oshkosh. Yep. Uh, that game was tied in the fourth quarter. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. You know, so Oshkosh it blew it open. So yep. I, I think we have a pretty solid top ten, top twelve, and then there's like that big jump to, to Johns Hopkins, Alfred and then maybe even a bigger jump to, to some of the teams below, including a few. And this was the first year in recent memory. I, I don't think there's a really good top 15 team that didn't make the postseason.
1: Yeah, that's true. We got really close because Platteville was on the bubble and they would have been a right. team that- they, But know, they got in
2: and they yeah. performed well. You know, It took a last second touchdown to knock them out of the postseason. I think you look at, uh, the way a lot of the teams were eliminated, the good teams, um, they, all, they all went out in, in tough fashion, whether right. you talk about Alfred putting up 45 against Mountain Union or um, John, Johns Hopkins losing by one touchdown to Mountain Union. Um, North Central and St. John's, even though those in Whitewater, those teams' scores weren't close, but those games were close for large portions of the game. So I think, as you sort out the top five, Mary Harden-Baylor one, Oshkosh two, voters will go back and forth on whether it's John John Carroll, St. Thomas, Mountain Union, some order three to five, and then I think the rest should slot in pretty easily from five to about twelve. And
0: have we ever had a year with so many regular season results from the top teams I mean Oshkosh and John Carroll played head-to-head twice Mount Union and John Carroll played head-to-head in the regular season Linfield Mary Hardin Baylor played twice uh, I think that helps us sort it out because we had so many teams uh, yeah Harden Simmons played Mary Harden Baylor to a five-point game in the regular season uh, I think it's kind of a unique year where we had so many regular season head-to-head matchups not just relying on okay they beat this team in the playoff who beat that team in the off like we do in many years. Yeah, That'd yeah,
2: that's pretty fair. And uh, I mean, one team that that
0: leapt up for me a
2: little bit during the postseason is Wheaton. Uh, not only beating North Central, but they were they were tough against Mary Hardin Baylor. Mary Harden Baylor really blew that game open with special teams touchdown, a defensive touchdown in the third quarter. But they didn't they didn't go up and down the field against them.
0: Uh, just looking at the top final top twenty five, twenty two of the twenty five teams made the postseason uh the top 21 all made the postseason. Uh number 22 St. John Fisher well, was the first one left out.
1: And we talked about it in a previous podcast about how well the poll stood up. It seemed in very many cases, especially through the up to the quarterfinal round, the higher ranked team won almost every possible game.
2: And our poll was early on Mary Harden Baylor as number 1.
1: Yeah, well, it yeah the AFCA will only have Mary Harden Baylor number one in its final poll, and we've had it that way for a few weeks now And, and we had voters almost from the very beginning, yeah, exactly. Uh, at the moment, you know i we would, I would like to say we'll have the poll out on Saturday. Uh, I only have 11, uh, one in my email, so I have 12 of the top 20, of the 25 top 25 votes now often it's a, it's a Sunday production, so you're going to hear this podcast definitely before we have the poll out so but that'll be something to look forward to and you guys can uh, all debate that. Um, that is the culmination of everything that we are required to go through on this podcast, everything we've promised. What else do we want to talk about? Frank wants to talk about something. Yes, Frank, with the microphone.
3: I would love to hear Kevin Nias's take on the game and the season a little bit. We've had him out here.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, he wants to hear your take on the game and the season. Kevin Neas, who's a former uh, quarterback at Thomas More, who's uh, joined us here. Uh, as part of our uh, postseason coverage, and has been kind of a kind of behind the scenes X's and O's, guys. And is it, can I say out loud that you're a top 25 voter? I could say that, right? Yeah. Okay, good, because I just did. I could edit it out. Go ahead. Uh,
5: as far as the game today, it was, um, you know, we all saw the same thing the defensive performance. But if you peel back the layers of what Mary Harden Baylor was able to do to Oshkosh, it's pretty impressive. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that they ran for 75 yards today, 30, 30 so 30 yards, um, and they were able to defend the pass at the same time. That, that's impressive to be to be able to defend like that, both the running game and the passing game. Um, the windows were really, really tiny that Casper uh, was thrown into today, so he had no margin of error. And if you think about that, while also getting a strong pass rush, that's a pretty hard gig um so i was really impressed with mary hard baylor obviously I, d- I didn't pick them but uh they earned it and, and and then on offense for them to to go away from their running back as much as they did they they used blake jackson it was genius it was a, it was an extra blocker um so that was that enabled them to hold the ball and and wear down the defense
2: yeah, I think what you pointed out stood out to me. The way Mary Harden Baylor is able to play six guys in the box defensively and yet have seven guys in coverage, right? The math doesn't <laughs> add up. It's because the 4 2 5 defense lets those linebackers, and because their front four is so good at getting a pass rush, I can only recall one time where they dialed up a blitz, and it didn't help them, to be quite honest. So they can play their base defense or a version of it almost the entire game have five defensive backs on the field they can drop seven into coverage with the linebackers because they get a good rush with those four
5: and so if you dig a little bit deeper even into that the simplified game plan you said that's the base defense they didn't make mistakes out there and, and a good team like Oshkosh would take advantage of a mistake they gave up some passes but you know Oshkosh made the, the national title game as well for a reason but they, they kept it simple and, and let their players play.
2: Yeah, and the whole gist of the Oshkosh offense, and you see this when you watch St. Thomas play as well, is to throw a bunch of formations at you, get your def- the defense thinking, and then they're going to catch you somewhere with a mismatch or catch you out of position, and you almost never saw that today. And then again, you know, I can't harp on it enough, the way Mary Harden-Baylor comes up and tackles. So when they, the whole idea of keeping plays in front of you Only works if your guys come up and finish those plays off. Let me ask
3: anybody does one of these teams, both of these teams, return to this game next year based on what you saw tonight or in the playoffs?
1: Well, Uh, I can. Oh, go ahead. I
5: I think Mary Harden Baylor definitely could. Um, It depends on how the kids step up, but it's a simple system if they have the same kind of kids in the spots. So they're going to grow into their role. It's going to take some time, but I think you, you could see a Mary Harden-Baylor team peaking in week 14 next, next year.
2: See, I would say Mary Harden-Baylor, very senior-laden team, a lot of se- uh, seniors on defense and offense, and a lot of their special players are seniors, whether it's Blake Jackson, Baylor Mullins, Cody, Tidrick Smith. They're going to lose a lot now, programs like that there's depth behind it but how quickly can you get those those guys who were part-time players or were practice players how quickly can you turn them into gamers Uh, that's gonna be tough but who else is bringing a whole lot back I don't know maybe St. Thomas who else are we talking about Uh, Mountain Union of course bring John Carroll have its quarterback back Brett Casper just a junior Hecker just a junior for Oshkosh so uh, and some of those linemen for Oshkosh also juniors Whitewater will settle on one quarterback next season, probably be Cole Wilber. Well, so Chris
1: Nelson graduates, so. That's, that's why I said probably will <laughs> be good, Cole Wilbur. I see but, where you're you going know,
2: there. I know. Who do? No guarantee, right? They tell you in the journalism business, you say expected to or you, know, you don't say something that's will true. happen. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough for Mary harden Baylor to repeat because they're such senior-laden team on both sides of the ball. If I had to pick one of the two to get back, right here as we sit here I'd say Oshkosh but never underestimate the defending champion especially if it's a program that's been good for as long as Mary Harden Baylor has got to be another wave of guys right behind them.
0: Well, and it seemed one thing they did this year was they shook up the culture a little bit this year you know we heard coach Fredenberg talk about you know weeding some guys out that, that weren't good no matter how talented they were if they weren't all in for what the program wanted to achieve they were gone And sometimes it's as simple as changing the culture of a program. Uh, Even a successful program, taking that next step, sometimes involves (laughs) shaking things up a little bit, and that's what they did. Uh, Now, are they going to have enough talent back next year is the big thing. I think we're looking at next year something very familiar to all of us here in Salem, and that's the OAC champion and the WIAC champion. Who's that going to be is going to be a fun question because those are going to be highly competitive conferences next year. Uh, You know, you – you look at Platteville. You yeah. can't forget about Whitewater. Oshkosh has a target on their back now. LaCrosse, they, they didn't win the conference championship this year. Lacrosse is going to get better. Don't too. think about. Yeah, don't forget about lacrosse. I mean, River Falls is a program on the rise. I mean, that conference just gets more and more competitive every year. And then the OAC. I mean, John Carroll's is a defending champion, and Mount Union's. I mean, it's so weird to say that, but. John Carroll is the defending OAC champion, and now Mount Union has to really earn that back. And it's not going to be easy because John Carroll returns a lot next year. John
1: Carroll has Oshkosh at their place next year. They have Mount Union at their place next year. Yeah. How about yeah, that? Tough way to open did up. I, did season, I get uh, that right? But, Oshkosh? That right? Yeah.
2: If, if you guys each had to step back and, and take one, I guess, memory or you know, something that moved forward, something that you kind of will hold on to from this season, um, what would it be?
1: Do I start? I asked you. I appreciate that. I think the great thing about 2016 is this is the year everything changed, right? Uh, I mean, it, whether it becomes a trend or not is you know yet to be determined. But uh, Mount Union lost a regular season game. Mount Union didn't get to the Stag Bowl. Um, um, you know, Whitewater didn't even get to the national semifinals. Uh, they won the the conference championship, but they weren't the conference representative in the Stag Bowl. That's the that's the thing that. Uh, you know whether it's a one-year blip or whether it becomes part of a, a longer trend. That's for me by far just the slam dunk of 2016. I'm sorry if that was the easy one. No,
2: I mean I, I think that probably is it. Or, or
1: each of us has some version of that.
2: For me, it was it was to see. Maybe I harp on this more than than Mary Harden Baylor fans even do. But the fact that. You go through these seasons, they end in disappointment, and, and it happened over and over again, and finally to see them break through. I thought that not only was that fun to watch, but it's encouraging for all these other programs who are getting to the playoffs, experiencing disappointment, because remember, 32 teams get in, 31 leave unhappy. And then Oshkosh breaking through, fresh face, fresh attitude here in Salem. You wonder if next season, somebody we haven't seen ever before and Salem oh, breaks through as well.
0: Yeah, that would be nice. And one thing, I, this is going to be my thing, but to piggyback on yours real quick, the regular season scheduling, I love the fact that John Carroll plays Oshkosh next year because this Mary Harden-Baylor team got here to this point because of that regular season game against Linfield in Week 3. I mean, to a man, they all said, that was the moment that gave them the confidence that they can beat anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. And having these non-conference regular season games is so good for Division Three. I mean, we, we remember when Whitewater, before they ever got to Salem, scheduled Mount Union. Oshkosh did the same thing, just to get the barometer of what does it take to be one of the best teams in Division Three. So that's a good thing going forward. For me, this is the year, that, you know, all the coaches like to say it, but this is the year it came true. Defense wins championships. 56 total points scored in the semifinals and final. That's exciting because that proves... I mean, I'm a defensive guy, Keith. I'm sure you love that too. We saw some great games. They weren't the flashiest, most exciting games these last couple weeks. But, man, those were some great, great football games that really proved that scheme, talent, those can get you so far. But really buying into committing to all 11 guys flying to the football, all 11 guys securing a tackle... That can win and defeat any other team at this level.
2: Well, and you take that one step further. Football's changed a lot over the past five to ten years. The offensive innovation was through the roof, and teams across D three, especially, adapted it so quickly. The 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 run pass option, package plays, um, being able to to show multiple formations and all these things, and the game is still cyclical defensive guys have, have caught up at least here in d3 at least this season now maybe part of that as a talent thing but i thought it gave us a, a storyline something fresh
1: as well as having the fresh teams before have, uh, frank for 30 seconds and yep. then kevin for 30 seconds just so got to, to say up.
3: we do have to wrap up but for me the the you know turning point or big thing for the season the selection committee let's go back oh. five weeks yeah we woke up on a Sunday expecting bland, bland, bland and same old, same old. Well, it didn't happen that way. First the extra flight, the matchups. Folks, we had a ten to three and fourteen to twelve semifinal last week. We had a ten to seven championship tonight. That wasn't an accident. They matched up those regions and those brackets in ways that maybe at first we thought there were regions of death or brackets of death out there, but it all balanced out at the end of the day. I thought it was a great job by them, and hopefully that's a sign of the future.
5: Kevin, and you guys said that it's a defensive game, and, and um, you know Keith and Keith and Adam really like that. But to be sorry, su- we have a quarterback here. To that's be good. successful on offense, you have to execute against that. So I found beauty in these games that the teams that won executed better on offense just that they did enough on offense to win those games so I think that's what stands out for me as well is you kind of do have to be balanced with a good defense and an offense that can score points against a really good defense so that's that's my my takeaway
1: and a fantastic 2016 the division three football season it was Keith I'm going into the credits do you have anything else you want to throw in before we throw out Absolutely not. See you next year. (laughs) Well, see you in January, right? But this was Around the Nation podcast number 167 for December 17th, 2016. Thanks for listening and uh, tune in and check out the rest of our Stag Bowl coverage on D3Football.com. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it. Subscribe to it on your uh, in iTunes, your podcast player. That will help other football fans find it. Thanks for following Division three football on D3Football.com. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is oh, that's, that's Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Thanks to our hosts here at Mac and Bob's. Thank you, everybody. A, a round of applause for Mac and Bob's. And thanks to Frank Rossi for producing and, of course, uh, to the creator of Around the Nation of E3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. Yeah? Keith? Okay, got one clap. That's good. That's about uh, that's about what you and I deserve. Yeah, there we go. You can catch us next in January. We'll have a January podcast, uh, so stay tuned for that. Well, I mean, don't just sit by your phone waiting for that. It'll be about uh, probably five or six weeks. Uh, congratulations, however, to the Crusaders of the University of Mary Hart and Baylor, uh, 10-7 winners over UW-Oshkosh in Stag Bowl 44, and also remember to use the DMV hashtag on your tweets and Instagram posts. And are we going to do a rollout, I guess, is my question. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, appreciate Ruu Crew being here, <laughs> Mr. Page. Yeah, you're, you're trying to cut me off. You're cutting me off, Agent. I don't have control of the board. It's so strange. He could just cut me off at any second. I'm expecting him to just cut me off.